Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27, 1 Samuel chapter 27. Honestly, I think we just pray and go home after this morning already. Um, uh, it's, it was awesome to see uh, Donna have been part of your journey to see what God's done. Um, James be able to baptize your daughter. Started thinking about Dorothy and then I stopped. Um, just see the East, your journey and just what God's done. And David, I don't really know you, but you seem like a great God, guy. So um, it's just amazing to see what God's done in the service. Um, as I was preparing this week, obviously God lays different things on my heart. And I've already been blown away how many different threads I've already seen in this service that I'm going to be touching on this morning with this passage. Uh, when you first read this passage, you're probably like, well, how in the world does that tie in to anything this morning when you're talking about David running the Philistines? Um, but one verse which... I'm going to touch at the very end that came up twice already this morning is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, and it's just amazing to see how God already interweaves that in the service. And um, I'm sure as you kind of hear this message this morning, you'll, you'll pick up on other threads that have uh, already uh, seen this morning. Um, so it's just been awesome to see God at work this morning um, through song, through baptism, through testimony. So let's read the passage together, 1 Samuel chapter 27. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to use one, there should be one near you or in front of you in the pew or the seats. It should be page 318 or thereabouts, 1 Samuel chapter 27, starting in verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer, within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over. He and the 600 men were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, and Noam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he said he no longer sought him. Verse 5, Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziglag. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Gezerites, the Gerzites, the Amakites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the ox, and the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made your raid today? They would say against the Negag of Judah, or against Negad of the Jeremelites, or against Negad of the Kenites. And David would neither leave man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they, they should tell us about and say, so David has done. So was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, 
He has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for all that you've already done through song, through testimony, uh, through hearing different passages already, Lord. Lord, I I pray as we go through this over the next few minutes as a body that you would remove myself and use me as a mouthpiece uh, to, to share your word. God, we know your word's powerful. Uh, we, Lord, we know that uh, you are already working, and we ask you to continue your work this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So if you notice something in 1 Samuel 27, uh, this is known as one of the very few passages in this book, and also all, any, actually in Scripture, as one of the godless passages. Uh, if you notice, as we read through it, God was not mentioned at all, uh, neither was his counsel sought. And it's, it's very rare that we see this, especially with David. David was known as a man for God's own heart. Typically, David would go to God or go to one of God's people. And so when we look at a passage and we say, God, you're not in this at all, he obviously is working in the background, but he's not specifically named. What do we do with this passage? Um, as I was studying it, it's very easy for us to make judgments on David in this chapter. Uh, when you look at it from a human standpoint, you're like, wow, David, you just kind of left God out. You just kind of did your own thing, made your own plans. Um, and I don't want that to be our focus this morning, because depending on how you view David, and we do this a lot with Scripture, is we have these heroes of the faith in our mind, right? We elevate David and other men of God like these are these, these perfect vessels that don't make any mistakes. And though if you think of a hero, you're going to basically defend David, or if you're more of like a pessimistic and think David did things that he shouldn't have, depending on where you come down, that's where your mind can go to. But I want us to kind of remove that from the passage, because we have to be true to the text and share what God wants us in this word. And so I'm going to preach to you what God's Word says and not try to put my own slight on it, um, because it's very easy to look at a text and kind of make it to what you want it to be. So David's definitely in this, this position, this ethical situation of what he should do. His back is against the wall. Um, if, we, if, we, if we look at back at uh, chapter 26 near the end, um, Saul and David had this interaction where uh, Saul's spear was taken. Saul realized it was David, David's men that took it from him and could have taken his life. And Saul basically said, peace be to you. Let's basically end on good terms. You go your way, I go my way, even though Saul's really thinking I'm going to kill you. Um, and then David's now has to make a decision. What do I do? Do I go back to Israel and try to hide within there and hope I don't get killed by Saul? Or do I go somewhere where I know Saul will not come after me? And that's the Philistines. So, the first point we see is David's plan here in verses 1 through 4, David's plan. So David is getting to the point where he's absolutely worn down with constantly being the prey of Saul. I mean, think about this. We're, we're on about, it's about a nine-chapter journey of, of David being chased by Saul. Um, and when I say chase, I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever been literally feared for your life, but that adrenaline, that heart pacing that makes great for movies, doesn't make great for real life, Right? If there's someone that's physically trying to hunt you down to kill you, it's not a great feeling. Um, And this is David. This is David constantly running from Saul. So David uses, uh, it's interesting here, David uses the same word in his self-talk. So we see, we get get a neat picture here in verse 1 where David, you get into the heart and mind of what David's thinking. He says to himself, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. The word there, perish, is the exact same word he used when he had confidence that one day God would make Saul perish or basically swept away. And now he's using that on himself that 
almost like a 180 turn, like, wow, God, I'm now going to perish at the hand of Saul. I am going to be swept away. That promise you made that I will one day be king is not going to happen. So when you're looking at David here, he does not have a great outlook on life and what's going to happen. So what do you do when you're at your lowest point in your life? Well, what did David do? Naturally, he logically went to enemy territory, right? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you go to enemy territory other than David had a plan? David went to the enemy territory seeking refuge in Gath once again. Uh, so he traveled about 25 miles to where he was. Uh, they were in, in chapter 26, they were in the desert of Zeph. Excuse me. And they went about 25 miles away. Um, and this is very significant in the place he chose, which was Gath. Obviously, we know a lot about Gath based on David and Goliath, and this is the, the town or the area of Philistine. So he's now entering a land with little to no godly influence in his life, a land that doesn't worship the one true God. His spiritual father, Samuel, has died. His best brother in Christ, his friend, his ally, Jonathan, is off the scene as well. David seems all alone. So this is now the second time he has fled to Gath to avoid Saul. And if you guys remember back in our, in our series in chapter uh, 21 when he went to Gath and he appeared out of fear to, to Achish in fear, so he, what, what did he do? He made himself look like a madman. So this is totally different circumstances, and he shows up coming to Achish hoping to basically build a treaty, build a, a truth saying, can I come and live in your area? But Based on chapter 28, if you look kind of ahead in the first couple of verses of chapter 28, Achish seems to have a different perspective on David at this point, because he's, he's thinking, man, he must really turn his back on his people. I can probably use him as a mercenary. And what's the common phrase? Your enemy's enemies is your friend, right, is your ally. So if we have a common enemy, you not, might not be my best friend, but hey, we both know we don't like that guy. And so Achish is probably thinking this, all right, David... He's part of Israel, part of Judah. He's not really my ally. In fact, we're enemies, but we both have a common enemy now in Saul. So this is probably what Achish is kind of thinking and why there was that receptive part of Achish allowing David to come in and execute his plan. So David came, and he has his two wives with him and all, their, all the family members. So in verse 2, so David rose and went out, and the 600 men who were with him. And then uh, it says in verse 3 that every man... Uh, that was with him, had their, their household, their wives, their children, and so on and so forth. So we're talking about roughly probably about 1,000 people that David has brought with him. We include all the, the family members and the people that are part of the staff and the servants and things of that nature. And it's very interesting that they name specifically his two wives. Um, now remember, he has two wives now due to the uh, widow of, of Nabal. And it's very, it's very interesting that David takes his wives and the same as with him because sometimes they would do, especially with war, they would put them somewhere safe and not bring them with them to draw attention to them. So he's doing this for protection. But also, if we look back at uh, chapter 25, what happened to uh, David's first wife, the son or the daughter of Saul, Michael? He gave him away, gave her away to someone else. So David's probably thinking, I better take these wives with them, both to protect them, but also, who knows what Saul's going to do with them? I might give them away again. So David's protective. He's laying out his plan. Let's get somewhere that's out of Saul's reach so I can protect my people and honestly just get some refuge in and um, some just rest. You think about this, going back to the thought of 
he's constantly on the run here. So when these people get to Gath, it's, it is enemy territory, but they're probably thinking, finally, I can have a good night's rest. I can kind of set up camp. I can kind of, you, you women out there, I can set up my home, right, so to speak, and, and take a break here because it's a lot better than, than on the run. It's a lot better than living in a cave. It's at least a place that we can have some rest and constant danger is not about us. So David comes to uh, Achish with a plan. And this is it's pretty remarkable and shows David's power to, to charm the king. Because, again, the last, the last thought that Achish had of David was that man-man picture, that crazy guy, that guy that had spittle going down his beard. He was making marks on walls. And so David, the same guy, shows up, and he's like, wow, you've changed. What's different? He had this, must have this conversation and, and allow him to stay in Gath. So what happens? Where does he get? Uh, we see, secondly, that David's place is set up here. In verse 5, Then David said to Achish, If I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in your royal city? So Achish was probably pretty flattered and relieved that David asked this question. Um, because Achish probably still in the back of his mind is thinking, like, is this guy going to be a traitor and just kill me one night? So Achish is probably like, well, this is great. I got someone that now is a common enemy against Saul, living underneath my rule. Um, we can see by his words in chapter 28 that he's probably thinking, David's going to be a mercenary for me, and gonna, we'll see at the end of the chapter, thinking that he's going to be my servant forever. And then also, importantly, get him out of Gath because... That is the main, one of the main areas for resources, food, water. So now you got a thousand people that, hey, get out of my, my royal city, great. So Achish is probably liking this plan to set up David's place here. Um, and then from David's perspective, this was an ideal place for David um, because it was out of Achish's constant oversight. This is about 25 miles southwest of Gath, this, this area. And so he didn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder constantly and saying, hey, is Achish looking at me? Is he, is he checking up on me? So when he wants to do these raids of his choice, he doesn't have to worry about Achish checking on him. And then secondly, it is even farther away from Saul. It's near the southern part of Judah area. This land was supposed to be conquered before. Um, way, going way back, if you look in Joshua, where God commanded uh, Joshua and the Israelites to take over all the promised land that was given to them and that job was never completed. So David, even in his plan and now in this place, he's thinking, this is a great opportunity for me to continue to carry out. Even though I'm not the acting king, I can continue to carry out God's plan for his people by conquering the southern part of Judah. And what's, what's always interesting is it's very specific in Scripture. It says, David stayed there for, a four, uh, excuse me, for a year and four months. So almost about a year and a half. That's a good amount of time. So what was David doing that, doing that time? Obviously, he was doing the raids, which Scripture lays out. But I guarantee you he was also building relationships with the Israelites and Judah. He was taking the opportunity to say, hey, listen, I'm David. I'm the anointed one. Um, once Saul's off the scene, I want to build that relationship with you so that you know who I am. I'm going to be your future king. I'm sure that there was that relationship building going on with David. Because David's a wise person, especially with military uh, strategy as well. So David's in this place that God has his fingerprints all over. So what does David do while he's there? Uh, thirdly, David's p- uh, practice. What was his, his, 
his daily, his weekly, his monthly practice while he was down in there. Well, he made these different raids. So in verse 8, David went up with his men, made these raids against these different clans. And um, there's a lot of interesting, this is, this is one of the ethical dilemmas that when you read Scripture, you're saying, well, did David deceive and lie to Achish? Um, and it's interesting, the commentaries are kind of split down the middle. So that's why I try to say, as you're studying Scripture, you're like, well, um, do we need to focus on what David, or was, it, was it right or wrong what he did? Honestly, that doesn't matter. What matters is what did God do through this, and what did, what did, what did, um, what, what did he accomplish for God's will during this? Because he went up, he attacked these different raids, and what he used, he used, he used, at least at the very least, he was very witty in his language to the king of Achish. Because um, he can be talking about the same group of people, but just with different, different terminologies, right? Because if someone says, so where are you from? Well, you can say, I'm from Pennsylvania, right? Or you can say, I'm from East Greenville, or I'm from Montgomery County, or I'm from, you can, you can broaden that. And I see a little bit of that here in Scripture, where, what David's talking about, because there can be overlap with some of these names. And what did David do, his, his daily practice? He would go up, and he left absolutely no survivors. And you see this in the common practice. And this goes back to the original command that, that God gave to Joshua and the Israel back in Joshua and said, I want you to go into this land. I want you to totally obliterate these people. Because why? Because they're going to turn your heart from me. They're going to, you're going to intermarry with them. You're going to have decisions to make that are, are not going to be easy. And so uh, David's carrying out the continued command of Yahweh here to take over and leave no survivors. Now, from a human level as well, why did he also do that? He did that, clearly what Scripture says, so that they wouldn't come back to Achish and say, oh, no, he didn't attack these people, he attacked these people. And so David was very, very wise in what he, how he said things, even though there definitely seems to be threads of deception here. So David was cunning, effective with his reports back to Achish, and it appeared to the king that David was attacking the territories in the Promised Land that were under Israel's control. So Aquish was absolutely completely fooled by what David was doing here. So if you look at uh, verse 12, and Aquish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So Aquish was absolutely confused. He was absolutely fooled, thinking that I have someone underneath my power that's supposed to be now the king of Israel coming up, and now he's going to be my ally. David was very cunning, very witty, and very effective with his reports and how he carried out his plan. So, this is where I want to focus here on some takeaways from this passage. Because um, when you look at the scripture, like I said, it's, it's, it's a shorter passage, it's only 12 verses, it's known as a godless passage, but we can definitely see God working through this, uh, through the different choices. So the first takeaway is lean on your true security. Lean on your true security. Going back to the first part of the passage with David, what was David doing? David was doing self-talk, and we all do this. Some of us actually talk out loud. How many of you guys talk out loud to yourself? You actually, wow, a lot of you. Okay. I thought this was common, kind of rare, but uh, at least, at the very least, most of us do internal talking, right? We do self-propaganda. We start believing our own lies. Even was shared one of the testimonies this morning. It was just, again, a thread of how it tied in Scripture. Um, you start believing these lies, and you start believing this self-talk. And we see that in David. David 
at the very least had points of where he was saying, I don't know if I'm going to make this out alive. I know God is God. I know his word is true. I know what I've seen God do. But yet when it comes in the here and now, I don't feel secure. And that happens when we start believing our own headlines, when we start believing lies, when we start looking around at our circumstances and get our eyes off God. And I think at the very least, David at that point in verse 1 started to drift his eyes off God at least a little bit uh, based on what he was self-talking there. Um, I read this quote, which is an awesome quote. Feed your soul true propaganda, especially about the adequacy of our God. Feed your soul true propaganda, especially about the adequacy of our God. Because think about that. We all every day read and hear and see propaganda. Whether it's true or not, that's what we have to filter through the eyes of Scripture. And when we do self-talk, it's very important that we're realizing, okay, is this, is this the devil trying to trick me? Is this my flesh pulling out and making these choices or, or teaching myself and, te- and uh, fooling myself what's not true? Or is this God trying to prop me along and, and guide me down a path that he wants me to go? So make sure that we are leaning on your true security. Because in David's circumstances, it looked like he had absolutely no security. But he did. God was still there. God was still the God in Gath as he was in Israel and Judah. Uh, it's just when the different circumstances are out there, it may not appear like that. Secondly, uh, we need to learn the craft of wisdom. Learn the craft of wisdom. So let's flip over. We've heard it a couple times this morning, but let's flip over to Proverbs chapter 3. It'll be good for all of us to see it with our own eyes and read it together. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. A lot of us know this verse by heart. You may even have it on a plaque somewhere around your house. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So lean, excuse me, learn the craft of wisdom. It's very, I love the word here in verse 5. It does not say don't use your own understanding, because guess what? God still expects us to use common sense. And God still use, expects us to use things that we've learned in our lives and experiences and use that. However, the, the word there is don't lean on it. Don't trust in that. We're supposed to uh, learn the craft of wisdom and lean on his understanding. So practically, how does that look out? Well, in David's life here, he, he at least appears it looks like that he might be leaning a little bit more on his own understanding than God's. But we also have to remember that David was called a God after man's own heart. So when he's thinking about what the next place or planning he should go to, I'm sure he had that constant communication with God and knowing, okay, what's this next path you have for me to do? Because even when he was in enemy territory, what was he doing? He was still carrying out God's, God's ultimate plan for Israel, which was to continue to take over the promised land. But in your life, a lot of us have different knowledges. You know, if you're at a job, you have a certain knowledge base of what you do, how to execute your job. But wisdom's different because wisdom's knowing how to apply that knowledge, how to apply it, when to apply it, when not to apply it. We all get in circumstances and situations where we might know what to do and we might know what might be the right thing to do. We don't always do it. And so it's not only just learning the craft of wisdom as far as knowing when and how to do it, but actually then following through and taking those steps of wisdom. 
Because we're all prompted in different situations where it's like, okay, I know the wise thing to do here is do X, Y, and Z, but I'm just going to do A, B, and C instead. I mean, we all have been there, and we all continue to be in the situations where that. So learn the craft of wisdom. And then lastly, let God's grace overwhelm you. So in, in some, some respects, what we said in verse, verse 1, David was taking some manners in his own hands at times. He, he lost sight of God's grace in his life. But if we take a step back and look at this, this chapter, chapter 27, David was on the run from Saul, living in enemy territory, under great pressure to keep Achish blind to all of his plans, while setting himself up to build relationships with southern Judah and conquering territory for Israel's. If you can't see God's grace in that, then you're not seeing Scripture properly. I mean, it's amazing to see that God's grace protected him through this because he was still in enemy territory. I mean, it, humanly speaking, it could have been easy for one of the Philistines to say, you know what, I'm going to take out David. I'm away from Achish. I can take him out. But he was still in enemy territory, and yet God's grace and mercy is still in enemy territory, was still working behind the scenes. So think about it in your own life. We can all get look at our life circumstances at times and say, you know what, things don't look good. You might be struggling with a uh, certain physical ailment. You may have lost your job. You may have a distant relationship with a family member. Whatever it might be, you might look at your circumstances and it's very easy to get down. But just take a minute to step back and just be overwhelmed by God's grace in your life. Um, when people always say, you know, God's not fair. You're absolutely right, he's not fair. And thank God he's not fair, because if he was fair, we'd all be in hell right now because of our sinful choices. But we have to look back and see, and, and our daily choices, look back and see what, what God's doing, what he continues to do, because his grace is just so overwhelming. I mean, when you look in your life, and again, I know this is a lot easier to say than do. I know when tomorrow Monday morning hits and we get hit the rat race again of work, it's easy to say, okay, what do I have to do? And then, you know, on your way to work, someone cuts you off, and then immediately you lose your salvation, right, in your mind? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's easy. It's, what we need to do is slow down, take a step back, and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Let me be reminded of your grace today. What do you have for me to do today? Uh, instead of going down our own line, our own plans, our own agenda, just take those moments, take those minutes, take a step back, and see God's grace in your life. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much um, for being such a great God to us. God, we thank you that uh, you do not give up on us. God, we thank you that you use men like David uh, from your scripture to show us that men are not perfect, women are not perfect, but you still choose us to use us. God, that alone should overwhelm us with your grace in our lives to know that Apart from you, we have no hope, but even with you, you allow us to make simple choices, dumb choices, and yet your grace is still there, your mercy is still there, your forgiveness, your love is still there. And God, allow us to be overwhelmed with us today and this week as we go out. We ask in your name. Amen.